You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. And now, the Rowan Radio News Team. Good morning and welcome to the Rowan Report here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. I'm Allie Bruce with the Rowan Radio News Team. Some of this week's headlines include President Biden is calling for a humanitarian pause in the Israel-Hamas war, the Israeli Prime Minister praises the advance into Gaza, and Governor Murphy's wife is preparing to run for Bob Menendez's Senate seat. Here's your national news recap for the week of October 29th. President Biden says a pause is needed in the Israel-Hamas war. His comment comes as NBC's Raf Sanchez reports that thousands of wounded aid workers and foreigners are expected to pass into Egypt in the coming days. Speaking in Minnesota Wednesday, Biden backed a pause after he was interrupted by a protester in the audience calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. The White House has previously said it would consider supporting a humanitarian pause to allow aid into Gaza, but has largely rebuffed calls for a ceasefire. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson will not be on the South Carolina GOP presidential primary ballot after missing Tuesday's filing deadline. Hutchinson posted on social media on Wednesday he did not file because South Carolina is a winner-take-all state and has two favorite South Carolina candidates, referring to Senator Tim Scott and former Governor Nikki Haley. He added that it's the best way to elect a non-Trump delegate. The filing deadline was Tuesday, the same day the resignation of Hutchinson's campaign manager took effect. The South Carolina First in the South primary is scheduled for February 24th, and 10 candidates will be on the ballot. Several mayors were in Washington, D.C. Thursday to ask the White House and Congress for action on the migrant crisis. They included the mayors of Chicago, Los Angeles, Houston, and Denver. There were sit-downs with the Biden administration officials and members of the House and Senate. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is rescheduling his planned Washington, D.C. trip on the migrant crisis. However, his office didn't give further explanation, but stated the mayor will travel back to New York City with his meetings with the federal officials being rescheduled as soon as possible. The mayor was set to join the mayors of major cities to call for action from the feds on the migrant crisis. New York City has been seeing hundreds of migrants arrive daily. A new presidential preference poll looks a lot like previous surveys, despite a month of major national and world events. The Quinnipiac University National Poll of Registered Voters out this week shows former President Donald Trump is by far the favorite for the Republican presidential nomination. Trump is the choice of 64 percent of the Republican and GOP-leaning voters, followed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 15 percent and former U.N. Ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley with 8 percent. On the Democratic side, President Biden has 77 percent support, followed by author Marianne Williamson with 8 percent and Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips at 6 percent. In a general election matchup, Biden polls at 47 percent and Trump at 46 percent. A three-way race, including independent candidate Robert Kennedy Jr., shows Biden at 39 percent, Trump at 36 percent and Kennedy at 22 percent. The House is passing a bill to give over $14 billion in aid to Israel and the war against Hamas. 
The bill will now head to the Senate in an early test for new Speaker Mike Johnson. The House GOP bill was called deeply flawed by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who says the Senate will not take it up. Democrats do not like the fact that the bill does not also provide aid to Ukraine, as well as the fact that it cuts funding from the IRS. The White House is praising the Republicans speaking out against Senator Tommy Tuberville's block on military promotions. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre called the hold shameful and dangerous. A group of Republican senators tried to confirm more than 60 military officers' promotions Wednesday night in a direct challenge to Tuberville's hold, but the Alabama senator blocked each one. Senator Dan Sullivan of Alaska, Joni Ernest of Iowa, and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina confronted Tuberville on the Senate floor, calling on him to lift his hold for the sake of national security. Tuberville has blocked hundreds of promotions for months in protest of the Pentagon's abortion policy. Lisa Franchetti was confirmed as the Chief of Naval Operations. She's the first woman to fill the role and the first woman to be a permanent member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Jurors are now deliberating on the fate of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Nearly 20 witnesses testified over a month-long period on the cryptocurrency exchange founder's case. Bankman-Fried faces more than 100 years in prison if he's convicted. The jury must decide if he intended to defraud investors and customers in order to find him guilty. Once expected to run all the way up to Thanksgiving, the trial has moved swiftly thus far. Hunter Biden is accusing right-wing critics of weaponizing his addiction. President Biden's son wrote in a new USA Today op-ed that critics are using his struggle as fodder for a vile and sustained disinformation campaign against the commander-in-chief. Hunter Biden also called it an all-out annihilation of his reputation, referring to the congressional investigations and charges related to a gun he bought in 2018. Biden's aides reportedly weren't expecting the piece, but also say the president agrees that his son is being unfairly attacked by the right. All of West Maui, except for Lahaina, is now back open to tourists. A full reopening happened Wednesday, less than a month after the first part of the region reopened for the first time since wildfires in August. Some businesses may find the return of visitors coming at a much-needed time. The Department of Business, Economic Development, and Tourism says both visitors' arrivals and spending on Maui were down by 50% in September. The agency expects tourism numbers in West Maui to improve during the next few months. But pre-wildfire numbers are not expected to return until late 2024. I'm Allie Bruce, and that was your national news. I'm Gavin Trudsenbach with your international news report. All three of our international stories today are coming from Reuters. Israeli forces have pushed further into Gaza City in their assault on Hamas in the north of the Gaza Strip, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said on Thursday, but they faced resistance from militant hit-and-run attacks from underground tunnels. The Palestinian death toll from nearly four weeks of Israeli air and artillery strikes on the blockaded enclave, meanwhile, rose past 9,000 on Thursday. Gaza Health Authority said, The Gaza Strip's main population center in the north has become the focus of attack for Israel, which has vowed to annihilate the Islamist group's command structure and has told civilians to flee to the south. Netanyahu said in a statement, We're at the height of the battle. We've had impressive successes and have passed the outskirts of Gaza City. We are advancing. He gave no further details. Israeli military chief Lieutenant General Herzi Halevi said in a televised statement, Our forces are now in the heart of a ground operation in the northern 
Gaza Strip. Brigadier General Ido Mizrahi, chief of Israel's military engineers, said troops were in a first stage of opening access routes in Gaza, but were encountering mines and booby traps. He said, Hamas has learned and prepared itself well. Hamas and allied Islamic Jihad fighters were emerging from tunnels to fire at tanks, then disappearing back into the network, residents said, and videos from both groups showed. One Palestinian man, asking not to be identified by name, said, they never stopped bombing Gaza City all night. The house never stopped shaking. But in the morning, we discover the Israeli forces are still outside the city, in the outskirts, and that means the resistance is heavier than they expected. Our next international story takes us to Russia. President Vladimir Putin on Thursday signed a law withdrawing Russia's ratification of the global treaty banning nuclear weapons tests, a step condemned by the organization which promotes adherence to the landmark arms control pact. The move, though expected, is evidence of the deep chill between the United States and Russia, whose ties are at their lowest level since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis over the war in Ukraine, and what Moscow casts as Washington's attempts to stymie the emergence of a new multipolar world order. Moscow says its de-ratification of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, CTBT, is merely designed to bring Russia into line with the United States, which signed but never ratified the treaty. Russia will not resume nuclear testing unless Washington does, say Russian diplomats. Nor, they say, will the move change the nuclear posture of Russia, which has the world's largest nuclear arsenal, or the way it shares information about its nuclear activities, as Moscow will remain a treaty signatory. But some Western arms control experts are concerned that Russia may be inching towards a nuclear test to intimidate and evoke fear amid the Ukraine war. Putin said on October 5th that he was not ready to say whether or not Russia should resume nuclear testing after calls from some Russian security experts and lawmakers to test a nuclear bomb as a warning to the West. Such a move, if it did happen, could usher in a new era of big power nuclear testing. Our third and final international story takes us to Pakistan, where thousands of people swamped the country's main northwestern border crossing, seeking to cross into Afghanistan on Thursday, a day after the government's deadline expired for undocumented foreigners to leave or face expulsion. Pakistani authorities began rounding up undocumented foreigners, most of them Afghans, hours before Wednesday's deadline. More than a million Afghans could have to leave or face arrest and forcible expulsion as a result of the ultimatum delivered by the Pakistan government a month ago. Scrambling to cope with the sudden influx, the Taliban-run administration in Afghanistan said temporary transit camps had been set up, and food and medical assistance would be provided, but relief agencies reported dire conditions across the border. The Norwegian Refugee Council, Danish Refugee Council, and International Rescue Committee said in a joint statement, the organization's teams stationed in the areas where people are returning from Pakistan have reported chaotic and desperate scenes among those who have returned. The Pakistani government has brushed off calls from the United Nations, rights groups, and Western embassies to reconsider its expulsion plan, saying Afghans had been involved in Islamist militant attacks and in crime that undermined the security of the country. More than 24,000 Afghans crossed the northwestern Torkham crossing into Afghanistan on Wednesday alone, Deputy Commissioner Khyber Tribal District Abdul Nasir Khan said. There were a large number waiting for clearance, and we made extra arrangements to better facilitate the clearance process, he added. He also added that authorities had worked well into the night at a camp set up near the 
crossing. The border, at the northwestern end of the Khyber Pass on the road between Peshawar in Pakistan and Jalalabad in Afghanistan, is usually closed by sundown. Khan said 128,000 Afghans had left through the crossing since the Pakistani government issued its directive. Others were crossing the border at Chaman in Pakistan's southwestern province of Balochistan. Major roads leading to border crossings were jammed with trucks carrying families and whatever belongings they could carry. Some Afghans who have been ordered to leave have spent decades in Pakistan, while some have never even been to Afghanistan and wonder how they can start a new life there. I'm Gavin Trutzenbach, and that was your International News Report. I'm Riley Adams with your local news. From the New York Times, First Lady of New Jersey, Tammy Murphy, is preparing to expand her reach even further, laying the groundwork to run for the U.S. Senate seat held by New Jersey's embattled senior Senator Robert Menendez next year. Senator Menendez, facing federal bribery charges, has insisted he will not resign and has not ruled out seeking re-election. But he has been abandoned by nearly every leading Democrat in the state, including Mr. Murphy, leaving Senator Menendez an extremely difficult path to victory and creating the likelihood of a rare open seat in the Senate. Ms. Murphy, 58, has quickly stepped into that looming void. She's assembling a campaign team, alerting prominent political leaders about her interest in running, and polling voters, according to interviews with more than two dozen state and national Democratic officials, strategists, and people close to the Murphys. If elected, she would be New Jersey's first female senator and the only governor's spouse ever sent directly to the U.S. Senate by voters, according to the U.S. Senate Historical Office. If she enters the race, as expected, after next week's legislative contest, Ms. Murphy will join a long roster of unconventional candidates who have run for Congress. She has been a champion for improving New Jersey's poor maternal and infant mortality rates and played key roles in both of her husband's campaigns, but she describes herself as a homemaker on tax forms and has never held elected office. From Fox 29. A woman is dead and her husband has been arrested after a shooting erupted at a hotel in a Camden County town early Wednesday morning. Officers responded to reports of a shooting and carjacking at the Days Inn Hotel in Runnymede just before 2 a.m. The carjacking victim told police that a man fired a handgun at him before fleeing with his car. Police then searched the hotel and found a woman suffering from gunshot wounds. She was identified as 30-year-old Ivy Morris and pronounced dead at the scene. Later that day, her husband, Stephen Burgess, was arrested by U.S. Marshals and Philadelphia SWAT teams. The 38-year-old Texas man is charged with first-degree murder and is currently in custody in Philadelphia pending extradition to New Jersey. From NBC New York, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said Wednesday his administration has shuttered part of the state's only woman's prison, partially fulfilling a promise made more than two years ago to close the facility amid reports of sexual abuse and misconduct there. The Democratic governor said people in minimum security have been moved to a newer satellite facility near the Edna Mahan Correctional Facility for Women in Clinton, while planning for a new woman's prison is still underway. Those considered to require medium and maximum security are still housed at the older Edna Mahan facility. The interim satellite facility dates to 1991 compared to the 110-year-old women's prison and has more modern living conditions, temperature control, and natural light, the governor's office said in an emailed statement. Victoria Kahn, the state's top correctional official, said the relocation is just temporary and that, quote, purpose-built prison should be constructed. In the meantime, she said the satellite facility would help with rehabilitation and re-entry into society. The decision to close the prison was announced in June 2021. It followed months of headlines from the facility that year, beginning in January, with what the Attorney General said was a brutal attack on women housed at the facility by guards. Some women were punched and pepper sprayed during what the Attorney General said were cell extractions. That episode led to more than a dozen guards being charged, with trials still pending. Apart from the January 2021 attack, the prison had long considered troubled. In April 2021, the state announced a $20 million settlement with women who were incarcerated at the prison over the years of sexual abuse and misconduct. Murphy said in a statement that the safety of people incarcerated in state facilities is of utmost importance. From 6ABC, 
Police in Newcastle County responded to a triple shooting that left at least one teenager injured on Tuesday night. A witness told Action News the gunfire broke out while children were trick-or-treating in the neighborhood. It happened just before 8 p.m. in the area of Jamar Boulevard and Alvin Drive in Newark, Delaware. One person described hearing the gunfire, which then led to a chaotic scene unfolding outside her home. She said people were screaming, crying, and running. Shooting victims were found on one neighbor's lawn and on another's porch. Police say a 16-year-old male was shot once in the leg, a 20-year-old female was shot multiple times in the torso, and an unknown man was shot multiple times in the legs. There is no word on the conditions of the victims or what led to this shooting. I'm Riley Adams, and that was your local news. I'm Aiden Doherty with your Rowan News. Police are looking for a gunman who shot a Rowan University student in the foot during a dispute at a fraternity party in Gloucester County. The incident occurred early Sunday near Rowan's campus in Glassboro at an off-campus house on North Main Street. Officers on patrol were flagged down around 1.45 a.m. for a report of shots fired. They learned residents tried to remove someone from a party when a fight began. According to the police, a man fired at least one round, striking the victim in the foot police said the student was taken to the hospital for treatment and later released. The shooter remains at large and the Gloucester County Prosecutor's Office is leading the investigation. There was also a suspect arrested in the stabbing of three people Friday near Rowan University's campus in Glassboro on Oakwood Ave. The stabbings occurred during a dispute around 11.30 p.m. at Oakwood and Whitney Avenues. Glassboro police said Rowan University sent an alert to avoid that area at around midnight on Friday night. They quickly followed with an update that the suspect was in custody. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM won College Radio Station of the Year for the second straight year during College Media Association's annual Pinnacle Awards event on Tuesday in Atlanta, Georgia. The win now makes it the third time in the station's 59-year history that it has earned honors as the nation's top college radio station. Those years are 1997, 2022, and now 2023. They have now won the same accolade in back-to-back years in the Pinnacle Awards. We have a dedicated core of students that want to achieve success at a high level, said Rowan Radio Station manager Derek Jones. Winning this award for a second consecutive year is a remarkable testament to our staff's teamwork and desire to produce award-winning content. The students remain the heartbeat of Rowan Radio. They won the honor over North Carolina State University, Oregon State University, and Michigan State University, including many more. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM has now won 360 regional and national awards since 1993. Allison Bruce and the news department also took first place for best special night event coverage for last year's Roan Report election night special. And Nick Iadonisi and Holly Johns for winning best podcast for Mother's Needs. I'm Anna Doherty, and that was your Rowan News. That does it for the first half of the Roan Report, wrapping up this week's national, international, and local news. We are going to take a quick break. Up next, we have your weekly sports, business, and entertainment news. Stay tuned right here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. Welcome back to the Rowan Report. I'm Allie Bruce along with the Rowan Radio News Team. I'm Jack Miller for the Rowan Report with your news from the professional sports world. Your own university profs continue their football season today on the road as they travel to Kane University to battle the Cougars as the football season is close to being over. Let's backtrack though to last week where Rowan battled the Montclair State University Redhawks. The profs were on a mission to get this game under their control early and the decision was to start Nate Myers at QB again. He found Kevin Degnan on another out route and broke free for a 76-yard touchdown. This is his third touchdown for 75-plus yards this year. 
Montclair answered a quarter later and tied it on a six-play drive made off of an interception by Red Hawks safety Nate Exile. Montclair running back Albelani Mendez took it to the house on a 10-yard rush. Rowan and Shane Martin shot back with another touchdown from 20 yards out, making it 14-7 at halftime. The props lost the coin toss, but they got the ball to start the second half and capitalized with another Kevin Degnan touchdown from seven yards away, extending their lead 21-7. Montclair couldn't get things going, but scored a late touchdown in the fourth and were still gasping for air after making it 21-14. On the Red Hawks' final drive, quarterback Aiden McLaughlin tried to force the ball to his main receiver Clarence Wilkins, but backup cornerback Miles Cook got in front of Wilkins and picked off McLaughlin to seal the deal and the props won their third game of the year 21-14. They will now face the winless Kane Cougars today at 1 as they finish off their two-game road stint and will be back at home for senior night this Friday against William Patterson. Rowan's men's soccer team clinched the second seed in the NJAC tournament and were able to beat the number 24 ranked Kane Cougars in the first round 1-0. Freshman goalie Charlie Scanlon made his first career start in goal replacing the injured Dylan Aportella and completed the shutout. His teammates were able to hold the Cougars to five shots, two of them being on goal, and Scanlon was able to make both saves. The props peppered Kane with six shots on goal, and Sergio Solo Garcia was able to put the only goal of the game in the back of the net to advance the props to the NJAC championship game. They will now face the number five ranked Montclair State Redhawks on the road tonight at seven, as we will cover the game live here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. From the grass pitch to the grass outfield, the Texas Rangers are World Series champions for the first time in franchise history. They won all of their games on the road and beat the Arizona Diamondbacks 5-0 in Game 5 Wednesday night. Corey Seager won World Series MVP, and he is the first player to win this award in both the National League and in the American League. The Rangers were 11-0 on the road, and that was a big factor in why they won the whole thing. Manager Bruce Bochy got his fourth title as a manager as he got his past three with the San Francisco Giants in 2010, 12, and 14. He is now tied for fourth all-time amongst all managers with the most World Series titles along with Walter Alston and Joe Torre. Opening day for the 2024 MLB season is in 145 days. Again, I'm Jack Miller for the Roan Report with your news from the professional sports world. Megan Steckler with your Roan Report business update. Wall Street is opening with stocks higher. This comes after the Federal Reserve kept interest rates where they are for the second time in a row. However, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell wouldn't rule out a rate hike at the central bank's December meeting. At the opening bell, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, and the Nasdaq were all trading higher. Two of the biggest names in the theme park business will be joining forces. Rory O'Neill reports. Six Flags and Cedar Fair are announcing a merger of equals. The combined company, worth an estimated $8 billion, will operate 27 theme parks, 15 water parks, and nine resorts in 17 states, Canada and Mexico. By merging, the companies will be able to stabilize their cash flow ahead of a predicted economic slowdown. The Six Flags Cedar Fair merger should be completed by spring. I'm Rory O'Neill. A new poll may be a red flag for holiday shopping this year. Rory O'Neill reports. The ho-ho-ho may be so-so. Gallup's preliminary report on holiday spending shows gift budgets are down slightly this year, with nearly as many people saying they'll spend more as will spend less. The survey says Americans expect to spend an average $923 on holiday gifts. That's down 9 bucks from a year ago. One-third of Americans will spend more than $1,000 on holiday gifts this year, according to Gallup. I'm Rory O'Neill. 
Toyota is announcing they will increase wages after the United Auto Workers and the Detroit 3 automakers reach tentative agreements. Toyota says they are not releasing the details of the increases publicly. A flyer that was circulating on social media showed the company was producing a 2% wage increase for top paid production workers and a quarter of a percentage increase for top paid skilled trade workers with wages increasing around 9% starting in January. Executive Vice President of Corporate Resources Chris Reynolds says they value their employees and want to ensure compensation keeps them competitive in the industry. I'm Megan Steckler and this has been your Business News Report. I'm Al Lawton, and this is your entertainment news. The cast of Friends is reacting to the death of castmate Matthew Perry over last weekend. Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, Matt LeBlanc, and David Schwimmer wrote in a statement to people that they are all, quote, utterly devastated by the loss. The statement went on to say that the group was more than castmates, but family, and that they will say more in time. Perry was found at his Los Angeles home on Saturday, where he appears to have drowned. Matthew Perry did not have fentanyl or meth in his system at the time of his death. That's according to TMZ, which says his initial toxicology report shows he tested negative for both substances. A more in-depth analysis is being conducted to see if harmful amounts of any other drugs were present in his blood. Several people close to Perry say that he was sober and seemed happy in the days leading up to his death. The man accused of plotting the 1996 murder of rapper Tupac Shakur pleaded not guilty. Dwayne Keith D. Davis appeared in Las Vegas court Thursday after his arraignment had been delayed twice. He waived his right to a speedy trial and was appointed a public defender after he didn't retain his own counsel. Davis was indicted by a Clark County grand jury and arrested in the Las Vegas area in September. It marked the first time someone had been arrested in connection to the death of Shakur. Pop icon Cher will headline this year's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City. The singer recently released her first Christmas album and had it debut at number one on Billboard's Holiday Albums chart. Other musical acts performing at the 97th edition of the parade include John Batiste, Brandy, Chicago, Belle Biv DeVoe, and a number of others. Seven new character balloons will also be seen at the parade route, including Beagle Scout Snoopy, Poe for Kung Fu Panda, and the Pillsbury Doughboy. This year's parade will be expanded by 30 minutes, with festivities starting at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Mariah Carey is facing another lawsuit for allegedly stealing the song All I Want for Christmas Is You. Songwriters Andy Stone and Troy Powers wrote a song named All I Want for Christmas Is You in 1989, five years before Carey released her version. In the newly filed lawsuit, the songwriters accuse Carrie of copying their track and are seeking $20 million in damages. The songs do not share lyrics or melodies. This lawsuit is nearly identical to one Stone filed last year. The very last Beatles song is out now. Now and Then was written and sung by John Lennon decades ago, and newly developed AI technology has allowed every Beatle to contribute to finishing the song. It includes guitar parts recorded by George Harrison before his death, Ringo Starr's drumming, and Paul McCartney's bass and piano. California rockers Green Day will head out on a stadium tour next summer. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famers will travel to over two dozen cities across North America on the Saviors Tour in support of their new album dropping in January. It kicks off on July 29th in Washington, D.C., and will also stop in New York City, Boston, Chicago, Phoenix, and Los Angeles before wrapping up on September 28th in San Diego. I'm Elle Lawton, and that was your entertainment news. 
And that wraps up this week's edition of the Roan Report here on Roan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. For the Roan Radio News Team, I'm Allie Bruce. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. Be sure to join us every Saturday morning at 9.30 for another edition of The Rowan Report, exclusively here on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.